0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: In that uh, July timeframe, and corn had plenty of time to stand back up. You know, if if you went out after the, the early July storms, you know, the first day, things were almost looking like what they look like now.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ashton Carr and Delaney Howell on the podcast today. Delaney, how's it going up there? I know that you're still kind of dealing with some things from the derecho storm. Uh, Yeah, so I've had an
2: interesting, let's see, it's been officially 12 hours now as we're recording the podcast here this afternoon. I talked a little bit about some of the damage that we'd seen, more so on our farm, um, until last night we discovered that our septic pump was backed up and we cleaned all of that fun sewage stuff out of our basement at about midnight last night. So I'm running on about five hours of sleep. Um, But really, I mean, I can't complain compared to some of what the farmers out there are going through. We also saw now some preliminary estimates released by Governor Reynolds, Iowa's governor said that she's estimating that there were more than 10 million acres of crops damaged just across the state of Iowa. But as we know, Illinois had a little bit of damage, so did Nebraska, I think parts of Wisconsin, maybe even Minnesota up there in the very southern part. So these are, again, just preliminary estimates, but now receiving reports of wind speeds up to even 112 miles per hour. So I believe yesterday I shared 100 miles per hour. It seems that uh, that was still a little low compared to what folks actually saw. And it was interesting. I shared this on our Facebook page. A meteorologist, I believe, I believe he's in Iowa um shared some pictures, some aerial footage pictures of satellite imagery uh, capturing the storm while it was going on, and you can see the clouds and wind system. You can also see with a patch of you know different colored green on the screen, and it's showing, I think in this picture flattened corn that was captured by satellite image, so it's just crazy to see how much of that stuff is really, really, truly bad. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more with Jeremy Miner coming up here on the podcast. But uh, I hope, Ashton, you have some more uplifting news today for us than that.
0: Well, I guess this might be a little bit of uplifting news. The administrator of the EPA, Andrew Wheeler, Wheeler excuse me, said the re-registration review of the three Dicamba products that were part of the California court case earlier this summer is still ongoing. And he was quoted as saying the companies that manufacture Dicamba have already applied for a new license. We're reviewing that now. We hope to have a decision later this fall in time for people to make plans for the growing season. So uh, take that as you will. If you are a fan of Die Camber products, if you're not a fan of Die Camber products, kind of just depends on what side of the line you're on. Whether or not that's uplifting news. <laughs> That is very true,
2: Ashen. I tell you what, today was also WASD Report Day. I'm gonna save those results here just prior to talking markets, but I also wanted to share this uh story I received, or not really a story, but some information I received from a extension weed specialist on Twitter. Um This gentleman, I was chatting with him, saw that he posted he'd received some of those seed packets that we've been talking about so much on the Twitter, so much on the podcast, not on Twitter. Um, Anyways, this gentleman shared with me that he is also a weed scientist, weed extension scientist, and he received a package, and when he got that package in the mail, he thought to himself... I bet that is a package of seeds from China we have been warning folks about. And he said how ironic he got one, he opened it up. And once he received that package, he immediately contacted his department of ag and they just gave him instructions basically on how to handle getting rid of those seeds. He said, essentially, you seal those seeds, package them in a Ziploc bag, and then you have to coordinate a pickup of the seed with your state department of agriculture. So he said he advises folks to pay close attention to what they get in the mail and lean on their state
0: ag agencies for guidance in this instance. You know, Delaney, I am so glad that you brought that up because we've been following this so closely and it just amazes me that there has been so much coverage on this. But uh, I also read an article today talking about that uh, one seed that they have found is considered to be a weed, but it's not invasive from my understanding. And they also found a larva in one seed that's a leaf beetle, but those are common in the United States. And I think that's as far as a threat really as they have found in those seeds, but um, I thought it was pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, absolutely agreed there with you, Ashton. But let's see, in other ag news, we saw economic advisor to the president, Larry Kudlow, in a statement yesterday afternoon saying that he continues to see the United States on a good track here with China to get some of those commodities purchased under the phase one trade agreement. He said, despite rising tensions over Hong Kong and, of course, other issues Following up that piece of news, the Trump administration also announced that they are taking action in response to China's campaign to tighten their control over Hong Kong and have now said that the U.S. Customs and Border Protection will soon begin to treat all imports from Hong Kong the same as it does Chinese products, including, of course, Putting on some trade tariffs on Hong Kong products. So, beginning September 25th, all products from Hong Kong must be marketed to indicate their origin is from China. This, of course, leaves open the possibility that the US will hit Hong Kong products with those tariffs the same they're doing for Chinese tariff or Chinese products. And it also raises the possibility of retaliation from China. So this is just going to create a little bit more global chaos, I think, in the short term. Um, I believe prior to this, Hong Kong really had kind of their own status with the United States when it came to trade. But we've seen a lot of turmoil going on in Hong Kong. We've seen, of course, riots and other things going on there. Um, And China's really been trying to put their thumb on that to try and control that situation. So we'll continue to watch that story, but definitely some global tensions uh, could heat up here.
0: Well, Delaney, I just have one more bit of news today. I just came upon this news. So adding to your uplifting news of the day, but as of right now, the 2021 Commodity Classic is still as planned Brad Doyle, the co-chair of the Commodity Classic and who is also on the planning committee, was quoted as saying, We have no intention of canceling it right now. We've had communication with our individual states, trying to get a feel for how many are planning on attending, and we're keeping in mind all of our vendors' needs. And the trade show floor space is already sold out and there haven't been any cancellations from my understanding from those floor space holders as of yet. And uh, Brad Doyle said that the committee will continue discussions and keep an eye on other trade shows. And he was quoted as saying, I think they'll set the pace for classic and what we need to do to change it. But I see that we have the opportunity in our 25th year to have a great commodity classic in the 2021 2020- 2021 Commodity Classic is set for March 4th through 6th in San Antonio, down here in Texas.
2: Yeah, I'm really hoping that they end up having National Cattlemen's Convention as well as uh, Commodity Classic. Those are, of course, two big staple shows for our ag industry. And I'm hoping things with COVID are wrapped up by then. But I tell you what, Ashton, we had a big report today with the Wadi report dropping and The grain markets absolutely reacted to today's market numbers. I'm going to run through these here quickly with you folks. And then we'll take a look at where the markets closed for today. The USDA put out a relatively bearish number when it comes to yield, but they did raise demand for both corn and soybeans. The big takeaways here from this report, corn production is forecast to be higher About 15.3 billion bushels of corn is what they're expected to see farmers harvest this year with a national yield of 181.8 bushels per acre. However, I would put again an asterisk in here to say that this report, of course, came out before we saw all of that damage earlier this week. And from what I've been hearing from farmers, a lot of them who have been hit hard across central Iowa are anticipating to see at least a 20 bushel per yield acre drop after seeing their corn flattened or damaged in a lot of the country. So on the swimming side of things, we saw lower beginning stocks, higher production numbers, higher crush numbers, and higher export numbers, which does seem relatively favorable for soybeans, and they traded that news positively today. We also saw soybean production estimated at a 4.42 billion bushels, with again a record national average yield of 53.3. So we will Have to see how that all shakes out this year after all of that weather did come through. But as I mentioned, this report was pretty bullish when it came to the soybean side of things. But corn and soybeans both finished higher on the day. Ashton, what do you say? Should we take a look at the markets? Let's do it, Dwayne. All right, taking a look here first at the September corn contract. After trading lower just after the report released, corn did climb its way back up to finish in the positive today with the September contract of three cents to at 314.5, the December up four cents, to at 327.5. In the soybean pits. Big moves today after this report dropped with the September contract up 10 and a quarter cents to close at 8.80 and three quarters. The November contract closed nine and three quarters cents higher to end at 8.83 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look. Oh, wait, I got to do... Wheat here, sorry about that guys. Taking a look at the Chicago wheat contract finished lower on the day with the September contract down four and a quarter cent to close at four ninety and three quarters. The December shed four cents to close just below five dollars at four ninety-nine and three quarters. In the livestock markets, we saw the Strength continue with the August live cattle contract up a dollar seventy to close at one hundred six thirty five. The October up a dollar twenty seven and a half to close at half. In the feeder cattle pits, the August contract up seventy-five cents on the day to close at one forty-five twenty-five. The September up a dollar thirty-two to close at one hundred forty-seven ninety-five. In the lean hog pits, the August contract sheds seventeen and a half cents today to close at fifty-two ninety. The October down twenty-two and a half cents to close at fifty-one sixty. And rounding out our our markets with the dairy class 3 milk futures the august contract up 13 cents on the day to close at 19.52 the september down 12 cents to close at 16.23 without further ado let's turn it over to our conversation with
0: jeremy Miner. Today on the podcast, we have Jeremy Miner, a technical agronomist from Southeast Iowa, covering Southeast Iowa, I should say. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
2: You cover Southeast Iowa, Mm -hmm. which is very timely that we're having you on the podcast because we just saw quite a bit of inclement weather head across Central Iowa into Eastern Iowa and then into Illinois. What are you seeing, or what were you seeing pre-storm, and now what are you seeing post-storm?
1: <laughs> well, pre-storm in my territory, things were actually looking really good. Um, we were definitely, you know, starting to see some drought stress. I live in the Williamsburg area, and uh, we were really fighting to catch some timely rains. Uh, especially as you head further east, you know, into the nose of Iowa, it was getting pretty dry. Um, but as you went further south and east, you know, towards the Missouri border, they were catching timely rains, and things were things are still looking really good there. Uh, obviously after Monday, things are looking a lot different. Um, you know, right along the, uh, highway 30 interstate 80 corridor, uh, things are looking pretty rough. There's a lot of corn that, uh, you know, is more horizontal than maybe vertical and a lot of shredded leaves out there. So uh, yeah, definitely a, a change in the past 36 hours or 72 hours as far as, uh, crop conditions for sure in my area. As you get further south, though, things are still looking good. They did catch some wind, but nothing like what we had across the central part of the state.
0: So, Jeremy, what can you or what do you expect to happen with these crops since they have seen so much damage because of this storm? What are you expecting harvest to look like, I guess?
1: Uh, harvest for most, I think, uh, it's not going to be pretty, especially across the central part of the state, just because we've got corn that is now, you know, basically in the milk stage for the most part. Uh, so we're, we're working on grain fill, um, with this stress with the, the duration winds that came through where we've got corn that's either laying on the ground flat or, or, you know, at a 45 degree angle, stressed pretty hard, leaves are stripped. Um, and, and plants need those leaves for nutrients to fill that grain, so um, I, I my gut tells me that you know pollination, even though if, if it went well, uh, which what I saw yesterday, things looked really good as far as ear fill i'm afraid right now we 're probably going to lose a little bit of test weight uh, and and you know some some kernel depth is definitely going to be lost. Um, it's tough to say an amount on yield for loss at this point. It just depends on how those plants are going to come back. Um, but I I definitely think we'll see a yield hit, especially in that central part of the state going further South though. I think things are still looking really good. Um, in fact, some of the guys that I talked to down around the Mount Pleasant area are looking at some of the better crops that they've had in the past couple of years. So, you know, they've been hit with some, some drought stress here the past couple of seasons. Uh, they're actually expecting some of their best, if not their best crop, um, up this coming fall.
2: Jeremy, you touched on a few things I wanted to unpack a little bit more here, uh, yield being one of them, but also when you look at the production or the life cycle of a corn plant, uh, most farmers, I would say, got planted pretty early, so their crop is pretty far along at this point. Mm-hmm. But with having such a strong wind like that, I think 100 and 112 mile an hour, I think I saw some yeah. moves, uh, clocking that in. I've heard a lot of questions, a lot of farmers talking about it, a lot of more so market analysts talking about whether or not after having that drastic of a wind pattern come through, whether or not the corn plant is resilient enough to continue being able to grow whether or not that corn plant will be able to kind of grow probably not completely back up vertical but right. whether or not that corn plant is hardy enough to pull itself back up so to speak
1: yeah that's going to be the tough part um you know we've had some wind events here already this season come through a lot of those were in that uh, july time frame and corn had plenty of time to stand back up you know if you went out after the the early July storms, you know, the first day, things were almost looking like what they look like now. Um, but, you know, within four or five days, I always tell guys to just wait, you know, at least three to five days, if not a little longer and come back, uh, especially on those early storms, because things will look completely different. And they did. They came back quite well. This time, you know, once you get up to tassel, uh, your corn plant is pretty much at its main, you know, it's not going to grow any taller. So it's at its maximum height. Um, there will be some plants that will try to come back up, um, how tall they get or how much they try to gooseneck back up has yet to be seen. And like you say, a lot of guys got in early, so we are a little bit further along in growth stage and those plants will, will certainly try to come back up. Um, but I think it's going to be tough. And, you know, as you think about a crop or a corn uh, plant maturing, once the ears start to dry out, they're going to get heavy and they're going to add a little bit of weight, uh, to those stocks that are already stressed. And uh, unfortunately, I I think a lot of that stuff, uh, it's going to need a timely harvest to really get those ears in before that plant breaks off and those ears fall to the ground.
0: I want to talk about disease for a second. Does this weather or the storm do anything to make this crop more susceptible to disease? Or what can we expect that to look like moving forward?
1: Yeah, you know, disease pressure up to this point has been I don't want to say low, but I would say maybe below average. There's been some gray leaf spot out there uh for a little while now. And actually the, the hot weather that we had uh here, you know, towards that first week of July, you know, the, the upper nineties, those types of temps and stuff really um bring that stuff on. But we've been fluctuating enough to where disease has kind of been coming on and then stopping and then coming on. Unfortunately now, um uh, it, it's probably not going to make a lot of difference now based on the ear stage of plants. So like, you know, if gray leaf spot were to come in or come back now on these plants, it, it wouldn't normally affect a plant that is that far along in maturity. Um, what I'm more worried about right now is probably stock rots. Um, we've got a lot of wound channels open up on plants in, in major field sizes across the state. Um, that's what I worry about. Anthracnose stock rot, you know, those are opportunistic, Um, diseases that come in and and try and take over, you know, when a plant is basically shutting down and maturing. Um, So I'm, I'm more concerned about stock rot and stock integrity at this point. And uh, it's going to need, we're going to need a timely harvest just to stay ahead of that and to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we take care of those things and, and get those crops taken care of as soon as possible.
2: Now, Jeremy, before we started recording today's podcast, you promised us you would try and find some silver lining here. (laughs) So, do you have anything you can share with us to kind of end us on a higher note than what we've been chatting about here with all this damage and stress going on for a lot of farmers out there? Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, corn plants are resilient and, you know, hybrids that are. You know, hybrids now uh, today from from even five years ago are much stronger, much tougher. Uh, can handle some some wide varieties of stress. You know, for a little while we were just worried about drought stress across most of the state, and uh, plants were actually holding together quite well. It's unfortunate that we don't have hurricane hurricane windproof corn right now, um, but I do think you know just based on stock strength and root strength, you know, we could have had a lot more green snap out there, which is, you know, that's basically terminal uh, once those plants snap off. A lot of the the crops that I've seen in the damaged areas, at least in my part of the state, um, are mostly, you know, leaners, you know, so there's more lodging versus green snap. So uh, if any silver lining is there is that those plants are still intact. Uh, they're still going to try and fill those kernels that are on the ear. Um, in most cases, those kernels are, you know, the ears are filled almost to the tip so uh it may be stressed and rushed uh grain fill right now but uh i think plants are strong enough that they're going to hold on a little longer than maybe some hybrids would have you know a few years ago so you know that's that's just uh a part of our our breeding program and it you know, really shows how things have come a long ways uh, in corn breeding to, to develop plants that have such strong roots and stalks like that. So that's probably my silver lining is that things will probably hang on a little bit longer and give us a little bit more time to prep for harvest and uh, hopefully get these crops out and get everything where they need to be, right in the bins, and, uh, and away we go.
2: I think everybody's ready to put a bow on the end of a 2020 harvest here. So Jeremy, certainly appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing your perspective. We definitely hope that folks in your area, some of your customers get things back up and running and get all that damage cleaned up after this storm.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Delaney. I appreciate it.
0: Well, a big thanks again to Jeremy Miner for taking the time out of his day to come on the podcast and talk to us. I'm sure he was pretty busy trying to figure out what's really going on in the fields up there. And it was very interesting to hear from an agronomist who experienced this storm as I am down here in Texas, didn't experience it myself. So uh, thanks again to Jeremy. And I really hope that all those farmers out there are doing good right now
2: absolutely and we're uh definitely don't want anyone to have to experience that type of storm again but if you are recovering some from storm damage have pictures comments thoughts to share with us we'd love to hear from you i know this is a tough time right now tough year really for farmers you can always find us on social media at ag News daily reach out to us anytime to share your thoughts and share what's going on in your neck of the woods ashton with that should we let the people go let's let them go